0: Major League Baseball is back. A 60 game season will be taking place. It's not like anybody agreed to it. Rob Manfred just said it was going to happen. The owners voted in terms and now we actually have spring training beginning on July 1st. So what's gonna happen with the Yankees and the Mets? What's gonna happen with their spring training situation? Let's find out today on Downtown Sports. I am your host, the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. We have a special MLB preview two-hitter to get to, and for right now, I'm going to hand it off to my co-host, the Beast of the East, John Periente, to introduce the first of our two featured guests on this two-hitter. Take it away, Beast.
1: We are here with a very, very special guest joining us. He is... You can hear him live on WFAN Sports Radio 66 for the New York Yankees pre- and post-game shows, also host his own podcast, a great insider for the New York Yankees. We are pleased to welcome Sweeney Murdy to downtown sports here today. And Sweeney, a pleasure to have you on. And how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. It's a great pleasure, as always. And A lot of things have changed in the past couple of months. We were right around the corner, Sweeney, from spring training. It was right about to begin. Coronavirus comes. Things get thrown into chaos. We now finally have supposedly a plan. Baseball is going to go with a 60-game schedule after all the fighting between the unions and the players' association and the owners. What is your thought on this baseball reset, which is now going to take effect on July 24th?
2: Well, there's a long time between now and then, so – a lot of things can happen. Uh, I think we were at a point when when the spring training the first time around got halted on March 12th, 13th, around there. Uh, we were at a point where we were waiting for scientists and politicians to tell us when it was going to be OK to, uh, to get back to baseball again. We got to a point in the last you know, month or so where, as things started reopening, it became about this contentious negotiation between the players and the owners. And it's not the first time there's been a negotiation here. It's just that it's the first time in a long time where it's been happening without games being played. So there's nothing else to focus on and nothing else to, to occupy our time. Uh, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, it, it, it doesn't always go smoothly, but it doesn't always go smoothly when there's real games being played. So we don't pay as much attention to it. Uh, they lost probably – they lost a lot in the eye of the public at the expense of about 20 games because if everything had gone smoothly, they'd probably be at about an 80-game schedule, which they are hoping to start July 4th. But keep in mind, that's – best-case scenario, if they had come to a really quick agreement and there was no animosity between players and owners, the best-case scenario right now is we'd be in spring training 2.0 All these other cases would be blooming in Florida and Arizona and maybe to a greater degree because you'd be opening it up more with with spring training facilities and we'd still be almost two weeks away from the first real game being played. So uh, even if the negotiation wasn't a problem, they were never going to play before July 4th anyway. So we still wouldn't have gotten there and we're back to the point now where the scientists and politicians are going to have a lot more say about how the season progresses when it you know when it gets started as i said we're still a month away from that and if it ever ends which is we're obviously still several months away from that
0: um so to follow up with the agreement in place now one of the biggest contingencies of this agreement is will the players be ready and from seven days of signing the agreement to report to spring training by july 1st now coronavirus cases are ramping up in texas are ramping up in arizona are ramping up in florida governor cuomo here has said well the mets and the yankees could do spring training in their own facilities here in new york how are teams and how are the yankees specifically going to attack the spring training situation once this is all signed sealed and delivered
2: yeah it's a good question i don't think any of us really know yet i mean um you know, it's not like anybody's ever tried to do this, you know, ramp up three weeks in in June and July to get to a season that's a a 50 or 60 game sprint. So um, I think there's, they're they're just kind of going to have to build up as many pitchers as they can and hope that, you know, they don't have injury setbacks here in the short term. Remember in spring training, if a pitcher has any sort of thing, even if it's not major, you usually shut them down for about a week. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you, you know, and remember, this isn't all on the team. You know, the player has to be honest, too. If the player's not honest telling you that something in his shoulder or his elbow or whatever is hurting, then the team isn't going to do anything. It's going to keep sending them out there. So um, there's there's a lot of uh, really odd circumstances here to try to get these guys to the starting gate, let alone the finish line.
1: Definitely. And I want to get to that next point with the, with the Yankees and the roster that they're going to have. The plan was about a 50 man roster. So if you're the Yankees, particularly right now going into this spring training, that's going to be three weeks or so. Who's playing on the Yankees 50 man roster. How are the Yankees going to like attack this?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you you normally have a, you have, you have a 40 man roster anyway, but um, you usually probably have about 30 guys who you think are, are major league level type of guys. And you know, you send the back half of those, the back couple of those guys to AAA, um, and then you know, the rest are probably A and AA guys who are on the roster uh, because of their service time in the minor leagues. So um, I, I think I, I think the back half of that isn't all that important right now. Um, it's the first thirty guys are obviously the most important, and we have a really good idea of who those guys are going to be, um, but. I've still, I've mentioned this on the radio several times. I think that the nature of the season is going to be not just for the Yankees, but for uh, almost every team, there are going to be a lot of injuries. Hmm. And you're not going to have the ability to wait them out. You know, a uh, hamstring injury is a month. Well, that's, that's half, over half the season at this point. If, uh, you know, uh, you, could miss, you could miss the rest of the season on a relatively, you know, small injury that would only cost you a portion of it, a fraction of it in any other year. So I think teams are going to be digging deeper into their minor league system to fill out their major league rosters. And I think the quality of play is going to suffer because of that. So, uh, and that's assuming that we get all 50 or 60 games in. Mm,
3: Definitely, definitely true.
0: So just quick follow-up to getting all 50, 60 games in. Um, Has anybody in baseball or anybody you've spoken to said to you what would be the thing that stops a season from starting or a thing that, you know, makes it so that we can't play baseball anymore during this period of coronavirus, because like, is there a number that major league baseball is looking at? Like, let's say a team decides, because I think in another uh, women's soccer league or some league like that, a team just decided they were going to pull out because they lost six, they they lost six players and four staffers to, you know, they have coronavirus. They now have to be quarantined. They had to pull that out. Do you think there's any mechanism that Major League Baseball is going to use in case a whole team comes down with coronavirus, or what is the death nail that's going to stop this from happening if it does ramp up?
2: It's a great question because I think that's what we're all kind of fearing. You know, you, you know, I think Brett Anderson tweeted out last night. You know, so what happens when we all get it? Um, it's you know, it's the scary part of this. I don't think anybody wants to. Uh, acknowledge that that is still a very real possibility is that medically you're going you know if all the talk has been about you know the number of games and negotiations and are you going to get started well once you get started you know there's no guarantee you're getting there um, i don't i don't know exactly yet how and remember there there's the dozens of pages of recommendations that the owners laid out for the players um, that came out about a month ago and People are saying, all right, well, how's this going to work? Well, it's, it's not like you're going to get fined or suspended for not following. I mean, these, are the, these are recommendations they're putting in place for the play, because the players said safety was a concern, as it should be. So here are some guidelines that they set forth that said this is going to help you minimize the risks. And if you don't comply, well, you know, you're the ones putting yourself at risk, basically. So it's going to be up to the players to, to be diligent about this. Um, and they're going to have to live this twenty-four-seven as far as making sure where they are at home, because you know you're not in a bubble atmosphere, and even if you were, it's really going to be hard to contain all these guys um, completely. So um, it's a it's a really a, a lot of things that you have to worry about, as you're alluding to, uh, just to get started, let alone finish the season. I keep saying it that way, but it's really true.
1: It's a very delicate uh, situation, Sweeney. Absolutely right, and as if things couldn't get more complicated now, not only have you had players speaking out against playing during COVID, now you have a matter that's coming up at the end of next year, at the end of 2021, there's a threat of a possible stoppage, a threat of a strike possibly down the road. How will this kind of impact next year as well? Well, um, I think as
2: long as, you know, Public health-wise, you're allowed to start the season next year, and we're in a different place than we are now. I think I think it's something that's going to be hanging over them, mm. but it's the idea that this is that a lockout could be implemented after the season is over. Um, so I, but remember that gives them lots of time to negotiate leading up to it, while games are still being played, we're not necessarily following on every word and relying on statements every day to tell us what's happening. Because, you know, I said, this is this is a unique situation where we're waiting for them to tell us, Are the, is there going to be baseball this year? And, and you're constantly seeking daily updates on negotiation from both sides because the clock is kind of ticking. It's not going to be the case next year. Um, for argument's sake, let's say it's a normal season next year. You know, you're going to be worried about, you know, how your team's doing putting that team together and not necessarily what the owners and the players are saying in boardrooms or, uh, or on zoom calls or whatever they're still doing at this point next year. Um, it is, it is something that's very delicate and we've just seen the relationship between these two sides magnified um, right now because there has been a, a lot of distrust. There are layers of distrust going back decades uh, and even just more recently, I mean, you know, how many times have you heard the players complain about their service time manipulation when, when guys like Chris Bryant or Glaber Torres get held back at the start of a season, and it's really with the idea of delaying their free agency, and it's never outright said said that way, but that's clearly the intent. And um, you know, the the players are um, are looking for remedies to that. So uh, even before any of this, they were seeking remedies to try to get. Um, to keep that from being an issue, to uh, help get these zero to three level players paid at a better rate, maybe getting to arbitration or free agency faster so the players on the other side of 30 don't pay the price for you know, going through the system and then not getting the big payday they've been, they've been uh, waiting for their entire career. Uh, those are real issues even before any of this. Hopefully those are things that get straightened out in bargaining and negotiations that are allowed to take place over a longer period of time, without a looming deadline and no actual games to pay attention to.
0: All right, well, moving on from the entire league's dirty laundry, we're going to go right into the New York Yankees' dirty laundry and this letter that they are trying, hell or high water, not to have opened. We had a guest last week who actually claimed that when Carlos Beltran arrived at the Houston Astros in 2017, that he said to them, that their cheating systems were antiquated. And that was the quote. So, yeah. A, fact or fiction. And B, what is in this letter that Brian Cashman and the Yankees are so scared to have come out? Well, they, yeah, that
2: report came out uh, a while ago. That's what Beltron had, had, you know, had said uh, to the Astros. Um, but the idea of, listen, I have no doubt that every team, not just the Yankees, had hitters watching video. Uh, watching the video room, the replay room was right there in the dugout and trying to decode the signs. We know the Astros took that to a different level with the, with the real time things, of the trash can uh, that no other team has, as far as we know, gone to those lengths to do. Um, I think that the Yankees are following just what any other team would do from a legal standpoint, uh, trying to keep a letter sealed that, that, uh, was originally deemed sealed. I'm far from a legal expert, but I have a feeling that you know any, no matter what the letter said, that any team would be would would try to keep that uh, initial order in place, probably in order to keep a precedent from being set so that future letters don't don't fall under this and just open them. Well, um, I'm curious to see what names are in there if the redacted versions of what we're going to see are going to tell us anything. Um, but is it going to be something like a wide-open cheating scandal? I have my doubts to that. Could it be something that shows players talking about watching video and decoding signals that way and, may, and maybe talking about it and trying to figure out relaying from, from the dugout in you know, some other, maybe not as quite as, as bad a way as what the, we saw the Astros doing? Possibly. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be – you know, players have already moved around too much from those Yankees teams. They, they've gone everywhere. Um, we've seen the Astros get out it and the Red Sox get out. it. I think you'd have heard if there was something really egregious to that degree, I think there are enough players on other teams who don't necessarily like letting Yankees skate. Uh, and if they had something on them to that degree, probably would have brought it out. So
1: I think it's a, you know, kind of a little bit, a little bit of that and maybe not a whole lot of something big talking with Sweeney Murdy, pre- and post-game show host for the New York Yankees on WFAN Sports Radio 66. As uh, we look at some of the Yankees now that are beginning to come back from injuries here, Aaron Judge, there's been rumors that he might be out for the year regardless if the season does resume. Aaron Hicks could be coming back by around July from his shoulder surgery from last year. What are the status of some of the main three Yankees, in particular Hicks, Judge, and Giancarlo Stanton?
2: Yeah, we haven't uh, – the last time we heard about Stanton was that he was, he was pretty much ready to go, and Hicks had been ramping up. Remember, he had Tommy John roughly the same schedule that Didi Gregorius did last year, and Didi was already back by this time uh, last season. So just on account, everyone's a little bit different. But uh, basically from a calendar standpoint, Aaron Hicks should be, you know, gearing up and ready to go, uh, it, you know, by the time uh, games are ready to start, um, assuming no further setbacks. Mm-hmm. Aaron Judge is the one we're all kind of interested in waiting to see because, you remember, he went through an entire winters program and started his spring training without any issues whatsoever uh, and then had to get shut down. So as they're trying to let that ribio, which they finally found, and again, let me go back to what I was telling you earlier about players needing to tell you if something hurts. You know, the Yankees are taking a lot of grief uh, for not figuring out this thing about Aaron Judge, but Judge went through an entire winters workout program uh, and didn't complain of anything. So, um, you know, think about, you know, you can't get mad at your doctor for not diagnosing something if you don't tell him what's wrong. So um, I, I think that's an important thing. To get back to where we are with Judge, nobody's really giving us an update because they haven't been in a position to do so. You know, they've, uh, they haven't had the real formal workouts and we haven't had the access to the people to tell us what's what uh, we haven't seen him working out and we haven't had the daily access to see what he's doing and how close he is to coming back. So uh, those are things that I think uh, we should get a better handle on in these next few days. Um, if, you know, assuming that uh, we get to a point where players are going to report on July 1st uh, and get back into the uh, idea of getting ready for a season
0: this is going to be the last question now you got things to go and do and take care of. But, um, one last thing, um, you see the way the divisions are now set up in this regional plan, um, with this now 60 game season, exactly how do you think the Yankees and Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone are planning on attacking this season? Because You maybe not having a traditional five-man rotation. Are we going to see pitchers go three, four innings now instead of going like, you know, are we going to see more of a bullpen session type of thing because these pitchers aren't going to be able to get themselves into being able to throw nine innings in three weeks or six innings or five innings or whatever number of pitches that they're usually used to throwing. What kind of strategies do you think are going to be employed and do you think this Yankee team coming in as healthy as they've ever been into a season, finally full roster put together. What kind of chances do you think they have in this shortened season to actually make a playoff, uh, make some noise? I mean, the rules have completely changed in terms of how this season is going to go down. So does this help or hurt this team?
2: Well, I think every team is going to consider be considered fairly healthy at this point. Cause we haven't, had to play any games, exactly. And you haven't had to see anybody, so once you get starting to ramp up again, I think you get a better idea of it. Um, I don't know that everybody's in this mode of three or four innings, because remember, it's just because we haven't watched them. You know, it doesn't mean that they're sitting at home doing nothing. You know, they had because remember when sp- they were halfway through spring training and about two weeks away from opening day when the shutdown came. Now, I think at that point in time, everybody's kind of of the, you know, at least the hopeful mind that, okay, this is going to last a couple of weeks and then you kind of get back into it. Obviously it was shut down for a lot longer than that. Now the pitchers themselves are not on this. Let's take the starting pitchers, for example. They're not on this routine where they've now been throwing a hundred pitches in game situations every five days for the last three months. But I'm pretty sure that they're, Uh, The work they've been able to do has been reflective of where they are on the calendar with the assumption that they would be playing baseball again at some point later this year, meaning they're not just throwing, you know, five, you know, 20 pitch bullpen sessions uh, like they would be in January. Uh, They're probably, you know, ramping up their work so they can hit the ground running a little bit. Um, That being said, I, I think that, because you have expand, you know, the expanded rosters, the ability to use more people, and you want to protect your assets from uh, from injury, you probably do want to, you know, maybe piggyback some guys into four or five out, five inning outings, uh, if that is something that your, you know, your staff is set up for. Uh, remember, the Yankees have a strong bullpen. You want to get those guys work. So, uh, I think you're going to want to take advantage of that too. Um, it's. Um, it's going to be really something that we'll probably get a better handle of as we get through the three weeks of spring training uh, and see, and I keep calling it spring training, it's going to be in July, but uh, you're going to kind of get a better feel for where guys are, and when you watch a guy work and you see him throw, you know, 60 pitches in 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 an outing uh, on July 8th or whatever, you're like, okay, this is This is warm-up stuff here because he's now probably prepared to go 75 or 80 or 90 pitches in a regular season game, and you can see it acting more like a real game. But I think we have to wait to see how guys are. As far as what their chances are, listen, let's just say 60 games, for argument's sake, anybody can win 35 out of 60 games in a season. Your worst teams will win 35 out of 60 games uh, most likely at some point in time. Uh, you have a couple of injuries, you have a bad stretch, uh, it, it hurts your chances. Uh, you've got to you know, get out of the gate strong and you have to stay healthy. Again, I think because of where we are and players coming in in different levels of, of health, uh, different levels of shape coming into this, and just the nature of the fact that players get, healthy, players get hurt in a normal healthy year at a, at a really uh, crazy rate, I think that whatever injuries they suffer now uh, are going to be ones that they just won't have enough time to recover from. So you're going to dig so deep into your system. I think the quality of play is going to be a lot different. So that you know, trying to get somebody to go 45 and 15 is going to be really hard. But uh, w- which means that everybody is going to be in this mix of 30 to 40 wins and trying to get yourself into the postseason. It's going to be interesting from that regard. But I don't know if anybody can accurately handicap, especially when the ace of your staff is only going to get 10 starts.
1: In this situation, every game with these 60 is going to mean something, more than any, maybe more than we ever know. Sweeney Murdy, Yankees radio ho- pre- and post-game show host for the WFAN on Sports Radio 66 and insider for the Yankees. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for taking some time to join us here today. Thank you, fellas. Appreciate you having me. All right. So Sweeney Murray, Yankees insider, and we will be back with our next guest momentarily. We will have Wayne Randazzo join us for the New York Mets, the radio voice for the New York Mets, and we'll get his side of things with the Mets and their ability to restart following the COVID pandemic. We'll be back right after this. (laughs) And we're back to downtown sports. Jonathan Pariente, the Beast of the East. Want to thank our special guest, Sweeney Murty, for joining us for the first half of our two-hitter. And here to
0: introduce our second guest is the mouth of the South, John Chavoni Ladies and gentlemen, one of the two play-by-play voices of the New York Metropolitans, he at first was the pregame host for the Mets on uh, 710 WOR, now their new host, WCBS 880 Radio. He's been a part of the Mets broadcast for a long time, a long time friend of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Wayne Randazza. Wayne, thanks for taking the time to come on, my friend.
3: What's up, guys? How you doing?
0: We're doing good. So, um... Words come down, spring tra- everybody back to spring training by July 1st. Governor Cuomo has said that they could do spring training in uh, City Field. So what are the Mets' plans for uh, spring training? Uh, has anything come out yet? Uh, where are the players going to report? Are they going to be in Point St. Lucie? Are they going to be in New York? How is that going to work? Yeah, I don't think any
3: of the teams are going to use their spring training facilities except maybe the Blue Jays. They might have to be in Dunedin. I'm not sure if they are allowed to be in Toronto or not. But it sounds like everybody else is going to use their actual stadiums for the return, uh, you know, which I think is fine. You know, you like to have the extra fields and all that down in the complexes, which is why they have those to begin with, plus the warm weather. But obviously with it being summer now, you don't need the, the weather part. And if there's any spillover as far as the players are concerned, you know, you're not training for a major league and a minor league season. You're really just training the major league guys and the guys who might be major leaguers this year. So you don't need as many players around in camp. And they can use City Field. And if they need to, you know, the Mets own the the ballpark in Brooklyn too at at Coney Island for the Cyclones. And they can use that as well. So that really shouldn't be uh, much of an issue. You know, the City Field has three cl- clubhouses. They've got the home and the road. There's an umpire's locker room. I mean, there's there's plenty of room in City Field for extra players and still able to keep whatever distancing needs to be there. Um, plus, whatever they use in Brooklyn. So I think they'll be fine. Uh, I think most teams have the capability, either with a minor league team nearby or with a college team nearby, to figure it all out. And uh, I think it will go you know, as far as the baseball stuff, somewhat smoothly.
1: Wayne, how will the Mets kind of approach this shortened season? It will be 60 games. They've had a history, the Mets, of particularly in June. They go on a rough stretch, 15-39 in the last two years, 2018, 2019, 15-39 in June. But then afterwards, July to September from 2018 and 19, 93-66 – but being how short this season is, how important will it be for the Mets to really get off to a good start and maintain that throughout a 60-game season?
3: Yeah, I guess one, one good thing about starting in, in July is that you avoid a June swoon. So that, w- that won't be a, a topic of discussion for them this year. But, um, you know, they, they'll, everybody's going to approach this in their own way. And I I think, you know, however creatively teams can be with their rosters and use their pitching and all that, you know, that's all going to be determined still. We don't really know how many players will be allowed to be on each roster, how many pitchers will be allowed to be on each roster. And there was some some new rules being implemented for this season that now we won't see, including a 26th man on the roster. You can assume that they'll be allowed to have more, plus uh, the capability of maybe having a taxi squad because of the fact that they'll have a minor league squad available in Brooklyn. So there's a lot that still needs to be decided about how the approach will be and and what these teams will do. But I think the Mets have one thing as far as the National League goes in their favor is the universal DH, which we now know will be only for this season. They will not have it for next year. So at least for the baseball purists, they can hold on to the National League rules for at least one more year. But for the shortened season, a, new, a universal DH really helps the Mets because you do have a bit of a backlog in terms of offensive talent. You know, Dominic Smith is a guy that wasn't going to get many starts, but now he might. Maybe he'll play first base in Pete DH. Uh, maybe do Cespedes. We don't, we don't even really know about his health and how he's been progressing over the last few months. Certainly we'll find that out probably next week once everybody goes back. But if Ioannis is in good shape, you know, he can be that DH as well and, and not really have to play the field, which would suit him. So uh, I think the Mets, as far as that goes, will benefit much more from that than most teams in the league.
0: Um, quick follow-up to that: Is that. Has Ioannis Espinis, uh been talking about the possibility of him playing a DH role this year since uh, any of these talks have come out? Has uh Joanna's been speaking to anybody about what he thinks uh, his prospects are for the 2020 season, considering shortened season. Now he might not have to play the field at all. Um, Has he come out and said anything about uh, what the plans are?
3: No, I don't think anybody's really said anything about uh, any plans for what the season will look like. I, I think, you know, the players really haven't spoken to the media, you know, even, you know the little bit we have heard has just kind of been with regard to their workouts and such. So we don't really know any any health updates. You know, Michael Conforto was battling an oblique injury before uh, the pandemic started. So you know we assume that it's been it's been a few months and he'll be fine and ready to go. Uh, but you know we, we'll find out all the injury updates. I'm sure once the Mets report next week. But I would think Cespedes who was planning to be back by around May first should be good to go and, and should be available. And I, and again, I wouldn't say that he's going to play the field much because you have other options, but you know, if he's at least healthy enough to swing the bat and run the bases a little bit. Well, I I think that we'll see you on still look like a a guy who's a very capable and impactful major league hitter.
1: There've been a lot of uh, rumors now with the Mets as far as ownership is concerned. You have Alex Rodriguez, Jennifer Lopez, a couple of months back, were trying to take an ownership role of the team. And now they've come back into that race. And now a couple other folks, Josh Harris and David Blitzer, are also throwing their hat in the ring as well. Where do you see this going with the Mets as far as ownership change and, and who could take the ownership eventually of the Mets from from the Wilpons?
3: Yeah, it's, a, you know, it's almost an impossible thing to, to think about right now because – you know, we we don't know even what the impact would be as far as as the price of the ball club. You know what Fred and Jeff want, um, who they're talking to, aside from what you what you read in 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 the papers and all that. I mean, Jeff mentioned that there are four or five suitors. We don't really know who the others would be outside of the of the Arod group. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's really tough to speculate about anything with, involving the ownership change and. I'm sure if, if one is is about to happen, we'll, we'll hear a lot more about it then.
0: Um, so to just follow up on that line of questioning about the ownership change, um, you know, I know we're not hearing much about it. The Wilpons aren't putting much out about it. But do you honestly think that Fred Wilpon is really looking to sell this team at this time? Because we've been hearing reports flirting with it for months and then – you know, after the Steve Cohen debacle, you know, they, they pretty much put a hard line and said, we're not speaking about this. And then the next thing we hear is there's five suitors. How serious do you think the Wilpons are about selling the team and about selling SNY?
3: Yeah, it's tough. You know, you know SNY and and TV is, is such a big moneymaker for any baseball ownership group. Um, you know, I know that the Wilpons love the Mets being in being in control of the Mets, they love the Mets organization, they love being uh, baseball owners, they love the game. they they are actually the longest tenured owners in baseball. Uh, Fred, you know he took uh, a, a por- portion of the Mets in 1980 and with 40 years under their belts, they beat Jerry Reinsdorf and the White sox by one year Reinsdorf got the white sox in 81. So Fred and, you know, especially Fred and Jeff as well, they've been the the fabric of New York baseball in the National League for many, many years, you know, Fred for many decades now. And, you know, I'm sure it won't be easy to see the team go to a a different pair of hands, but I think the Wilpons have certainly served the New York Mets and the city and the National League and the major leagues as well as they could for a very long time. And I know that they've uh, enjoyed being stewards of of the organization and of the game.
0: And uh, one of their last major moves that they've made now was having to deal with uh, the fallout from the Houston Astros cheating scandal, which is now seeming to turn into the Major League Baseball cheating scandal, where um, they had to fire Carlos Beltran before he ever coached a game. What do you think of the Mets' new managerial hire, and do you think he's a good fit for the team?
3: I think Louis Ross is a tremendous fit for the team. I think that you can even argue that the Mets ended up with the better managerial choice at the end of the day uh, than than what they went with initially. You know, Carlos Beltran had never managed. He certainly was a great player, Hall of Fame-level talent, he certainly is a well-respected person in Major League Baseball. You know, This might cloud some of that, but I still think that Carlos Beltran's name goes a long way in the game. But as far as managerial talent goes, boy, Luis Rojas has done it all to be in the minor league system for as long as he was, to be, have the relationships that he has with the players already, to have the pedigree of being Felipe Alou's son and, and his brother Moises, who he worked for, in the Dominican winter league won a championship playing in winter ball, is no small feat. You know, Luis as calm as they get. He's a smart baseball guy. I, I think that he's going to be a, a very good fit for what the Mets want and, and for being the manager of this team moving forward. So, you know, I think the Mets in, in kind of a backward way ended up, ended up moving quite a bit forward.
1: Get you out of here on this very last question. Uh, Kind of want to make this a little fun one. You are the your cousin is a major league umpire, Tony Randazzo, and I'm kind of curious how how this has affected him. This COVID-19 not being able to play for three months. How has this affected your your cousin and you know him getting back into umpiring a game? And you know, How has he been able to really get back into get back into into the gear here? You know, baseball coming back now in, in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, you know, fortunately Tony's had a really long career in baseball, you know, he's been uh either the minor leagues for quite a while and then he's been a big league ump since 1999, so he's he's had a nice long career to this point. Now, he's not ready to hang it up anytime soon, but you know, he's he's had a couple decades in the big leagues, which is uh, which is a good thing to have and and he's I'm sure well taken care of as far as all that goes, but you know, we all miss it. And anybody who works in the game right now, And I think this gets lost with the the battle between the owners and the players. Now, you think about people that work in the front office, people that work as stadium employees, people that work in the parking lots, people that work in the broadcast booths. You know, all of us, the writers, everybody, everybody is affected by what's been going on in the game and not just at the major league level. Think about all the minor league teams and the minor league owners and the minor league GMs and the minor league broadcasters and front office workers that are going to have no season. You know, at least now it seems like there's going to be a chance to have a major league season. And we don't even know what's really going to happen here with the with the virus. And and if this if this surges in, in cases are going to get to a point where it's going to have to shut everything down again. But as far as we can see right now, there's going to be major league baseball. That's great. But what's gone on here and and the impact that it's had on the last few months for everybody in the game is is just been uh, just really knocked everybody back. So I'm sure everyone is that that can go back is excited to certainly it's not everybody. And, you know, I think our thoughts uh, can still be with the people that won't be able to come back and work and, and, you know, take care of their families in the game of baseball as so many do.
0: Wayne, I want to thank you for coming onto the show, and uh, I appreciate the time. And uh, we hope to have you on again soon once uh, the season starts up.
3: Okay, guys, appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That was Wayne Randazzo, play-by-play voice of the New York Mets on the radio, alongside Howie Rose. You could hear them call Mets games this season on WCBS eight eighty AM radio. Now, John, we're about to wrap this show up. We're going to wrap up this special two-hitter. I also want to thank Sweetie Murdy for being on the show in the first segment. John, where can they hear us? We are available on nine different
1: sites. We are on Raker. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and now on our newest home, CastBox. You can listen to us on any of those nine sites. We're on every Tuesday or Wednesday. We will have a live episode or rant and or rant up every week. We are downtown sports where sports comes home.
0: And with that, for the Beasts of the East, Jonathan Pariente, I want to thank Shane Sullivan, our engineer behind the glass. I want to thank Chris DeLarge and Tony Manville, our research team, for all those guys. I'm the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. This is Downtown Sports. We